this is kind of our last Sunday as we're in Christmas at Zoe. I know I've got a message this morning, so excited to be able to share with some of you. I believe for some of you, this is exactly why you are here this morning. God needs to speak right to your heart. There's something you've been believing, and you need to hear a different word today. And so get ready, because I know he's going to speak to you, all right? Uh, how many of you, when you were a kid, how many of you were snoopers? Here's what I mean by snoopers. You know what I mean? Like, like before the presents are under the tree, before they're wrapped, you were a snooper, right? You went snooping for stuff. See, I was a snooper. That's how I was. I, I walk around. I knew where my mom kept it. She was not real creative. She only had two spots, under her bed and the back of a closet. And I'd go and I'd find what I'd have every year. She didn't know it. It wasn't until I was later in life that I told her, hey, I knew what I got every year. I'm a really good actor, okay? And so this is, this is how I was. I was a snooper. But some of you were not snoopers. Uh, see, my wife was not a snooper. My wife was known as a re-rapper, okay? She's a re-rapper. See, see, she would go, she would find the present, unwrap it, figure out what she got, re-wrap the present, and put it back under the tree. Like, it's ridiculous. Like, that's way too much effort in my book. But this is how she rolled. This is what she does, okay? And, and so this is my wife doing this. And so there's different groups out here. We got the snoopers. We got the re-rappers, all that kind of stuff. But Christmas morning comes, you know. It's Christmas morning. And the kids go down and you look at the, under the tree and you're looking for the presents. And see, the kids, when they're looking at the presents, doesn't matter if they know what it is in it or not, there's one thing every child believes. And what is that? Bigger is better, right? Every kid, bigger is better. It doesn't matter what it is. The kids believe. They're looking who's got the biggest present because they think the best present in there. They don't know what it is. It could be a pony. It could be a dirt bike. It could be something amazing. They think the biggest present is there. Oftentimes, it's stupid like luggage, right? It's not anything good. But they just believe it in their hearts. And so because of that, the kids just fight over the big present. See, this is a principle that I think we all need to understand is that what we believe matters because it impacts our behavior. And this morning, we're going to look at something. And unfortunately, there is a lie that many of us struggle and we believe. And because of that, it negatively impacts how we relate to God. And I think this morning we're going to confront that lie with a very unique passage. This is not one of those Christmas passages where you're like, oh, this makes sense. But I think it's going to become crystal clear to you what it is God wants to say to you. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse number 1. Uh, if you are new here this morning, you need to understand, I don't get up here on a weekly basis and just give you my top five lift, uh, list of how to have a better life, any of those kind of things. What we do on a weekly basis is we open the word of God, we say, God, what do you have to say? Because what he has to say to you is way better than what I have to say to you, all right? And so this is how we preach around here. And so just, you can be accustomed to that, all right? Would you stand with me across the room? Nothing sacred about standing. It's just our tradition to say, God, we honor your word above everything else. All right, Matthew chapter 1, I'm going to read one verse to you. Here it is. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you do want to speak to our hearts today. And so we pause the busyness of this world, everything else we've got going on. We say, God, we want to hear from you. So we open our hearts and we open our ears to you. Have your way, we pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said... Amen, amen. You may be seated. So this passage, you're probably thinking, you're like, seriously, what in the world are we looking at this passage for? 
Why are we reading? This is what's called the genealogy. The following 16 verses proceed with things like this is this guy, the father of this guy, the father of this guy, the father of this guy. This is one of those sections of scripture. If you're like me, you just jump right over it if you're reading it. You stop reading. Like, I don't even know what this is. I don't know these people. I don't know what it is, okay? Or this is the kind of thing you read late at night if you need to fall asleep, okay? Sometimes I'll just open the book of Numbers and just like put myself to sleep, right? Okay? But this is one of those sections, I know it's going to be, it seems a little strange, but there is a truth hidden in this text that, that God wants to use to confront a lie that we all believe. And the lie that we all struggle with is this very simple lie. I'm too messy. I'm too messy. I'm too messy. God doesn't want to deal with my mess. He doesn't want to deal with me. I should be embarrassed. I should be ashamed. I should hide away. I should hide completely from him. Or if you're a follower of Christ, I should at least hide this portion of my life from him. I shouldn't let him anywhere near this thing because he doesn't want to be around things like that. I'm too messy. Too messy for God. Remember I said something to you earlier. I said uh, very similar, and this is a phrase I think you need to hold on to. It's this, belief behaves. Belief behaves. Your behavior displays what you believe, okay? It's your belief behaves. Whatever it is, you can say you've got all these great beliefs, but your behavior gives you away. It tells you what you really believe, all right? Your belief behaves. And so what does that mean when it comes to, to this phrase, this, this belief, I'm too messy? You know what it does? It causes a lot of problems because we behave in a very specific way. What do I mean? If you're not a follower of Jesus... Uh, you, many of you have probably heard somebody say something like this. When, when it comes to this idea of coming to church, like, ah, I couldn't go to church. Like, I don't think I would fit in there. Like, I got too much stuff in my life. I don't think I, I would work. I'd get struck by lightning. I've had people tell me I'd get struck by lightning if I walked into a church building. People say things like that. I've told you this before. I don't tell people what I do for a living. I don't like telling people what I do for a living. I avoid it. And I had somebody come up to me one time, like, Greg, you know what Jesus said. If you're ashamed of me before, man, you're going to, I'm like, okay, <laughs> I do preach on a stage every week to the world. <laughs> like, it's not that I'm ashamed of Jesus. But I don't like to tell people what I do for a living initially. You want to know why? Because the moment I tell them, they, they immediately stop being themselves. Yeah. Yep. All the barriers go up. They start faking it because they don't think that they can be themselves around me. There's something sacred about me that they can't be real. This happened to me just a week ago. I'm at Tires Plus down the block getting some tires, and, and I'm talking to the guy at the counter. We're chit-chatting. We're kind of doing this thing, and I love chit-chatting because, I, you know, you guys that, that have work in secular jobs, you get to talk to non-Christians all the time. I have to effort talking to non-Christians, okay? I have to make an effort. So I love it. I'm, I'm chit-chatting with this guy, trying to just get to know him a little bit, and he asked the question I don't want to answer. So what do you do for a living? No, he said, where do you work? That's what he said. And I said, well, I can get out of this one. I said, well, I work at a church just down the block. It's a little vague right there. His first words out of his mouth. I'm sorry, I've been swearing. First words out of his mouth. I said, not a big deal, man. Not, I like, no worries. He's like, and then he felt the need to justify his swearing. He's like, well, in our industry, that's just kind of how things roll. Not a big deal. And I'm like, seriously, not a big deal. No worries. I don't care. Sin or sin, not a big deal, right? <laughs> But this is this, there's this innate feeling we all have, in it, which there is justification in that. We recognize that we're broken. All of us do. We understand if there is a standard of perfection out there, we have failed in some way. We get that. So there is something good in that in recognizing our lostness. But when we go too far to the lie, I'm too messy for God, we get into a dangerous place. 
But it's not just for those who are outside. It's for us insiders. Because we have the same problem. We have the exact same problem. We believe, well, I'm too mad. Well, we believe Jesus loves sinners. He cares for me. It doesn't really, I, I understand all those things. I can preach them. I can sing them. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. But oftentimes we act like Adam. There's sin in our life somewhere. There's something we're struggling with. And what do we do? We do just what Adam, Adam did. He went and hid. See, God was the pursuer. He's coming like, I know something's wrong. I want to make it right. And Adam is hiding, trying to keep it away from God. And you and I as followers of Christ, we do the exact same thing. We we allow things in our life. There's things you're struggling with right now in your marriage, in your relationships. There are sin issues that you're dealing with. There are addictions that you're battling. There are physical things you are struggling with. And rather than running toward God, we say, I'm too messy. I don't think God wants to be a part of this thing. We segment our life. We take rooms of our life and say, God, we're lying. Lock in the door, you don't get a place there. We operate totally contrary to God's heart. I'm too messy. So what I want to do is I want to dig into this passage of Scripture a little bit. I'm going to dig the next several verses. And you look at this genealogy, and it's pretty vanilla at first. It just seems like a list of Bible characters. You're reading through this, oh, there's all the Bible characters. But when you really get to the details, you see a different story. What we're looking at is Jesus' family line. And Jesus' family line is a little crazy. Okay? It just is. All right? So here, if if you're not familiar with Scripture, you're going to get a little lesson in Bible characters here for a moment. All right? Let's begin. Verse number 2 says this. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Now, who's Abraham? Many of us know Abraham. He's a part at three of the biggest religions in the world. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam all can say who Abraham is. Abraham was a man who God came to in Genesis chapter 12. He approached him and he says, listen, I'm going to do something in you. I'm going to make something out of you. I'm going to make you into a great nation. This was an old dude who didn't have any kids. And what Abraham did, and it's this act of faith that all of us look at and say, I want to be like Abraham, right? Because he was this man of faith, and he heard what God said, and he believed it. He believed. He trusted God. He put his faith in God, even though it didn't make sense to his mind. He put his trust in God. And what, what happened? It said God credited as righteousness, this step of faith. And so we look back and we talk about this amazing man of faith in Genesis 12 at the beginning of the chapter. You just go a few verses further. And what do you see? This same great man of faith, trusting God, believing amazing things. What does he do? He goes to Egypt with his wife. And he's got a little bit of a hottie of a wife, okay? Just read it. It's in the scriptures. That's not me. It doesn't say hottie, but whatever. She's a good-looking woman, okay? And he's like, if I go into Egypt, baby, all of them are going to want you, and they're going to kill me to get you. So can you tell everybody I'm just your brother? Like, just say I'm just your brother. So that's what they do. And he goes in, and the Pharaoh sees this hot toddy of a wife, and he takes her into his courts. But guess what happens? All these plagues come on to Pharaoh. And he's like, he comes to Abraham, he's like, what were you doing? Why did you tell me this was your sister? That's gross. Why did you tell me that? And Abraham's like, I was, I was afraid. I was scared. I thought you were going to get me, you know. This great man of faith, courage, trusting God. A few verses later, he's a coward. This is, in the, this is in the line of Jesus. I can't preach every one of them. <laughs> We're going to be here all day if I do that. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Do you know who Jacob is? Jacob, another 
The, the God of Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We see his name all over. Why do we have Israel? Israel is Jacob. Jacob had his name changed to Israel. That's why we have the nation of Israel. Everything relating to Israelites started with Jacob. But you know Jacob's story. Jacob was a twin. And his, his twin came out first, which meant he was older, which meant he got the inheritance and he got the blessing. And Jacob said, I want those. So what did he do? He blackmails his brother and steals his inheritance. Then he lies to his old blind father to try and get the blessing from him. This great man of faith, this amazing man that we all want to be like, he was deceitful. It's even what his name Jacob even meant. All right? So we go on in the story here. We got Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Now, if you don't know this story, you can turn to Genesis chapter 38. If you've got a small child in the room, you might want to distract him for a moment as I tell a little story, okay? Judah, <laughs> Judah is, is in the line of Jesus, right? Line of Jesus. He's got a son, and that son gets a wife. And what is her name? Tamar. But unfortunately, that son of his passes away. And so what happens? This woman, Tamar, she, needs, she doesn't have a child yet to, to bring the family line on. So the brothers are supposed to take care of that. They don't. And so Tamar now is stuck. And she's like, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to disguise myself. And I'm going to convince my father-in-law to come take care of things. And so she disguises herself as a prostitute, sits at the gates, seduces her father-in-law, and eventually has his child. And when she confronts, get this, best part of the story, guys. This is like a soap opera, right? She confronts Judah to let him know what she's done. And, and you know what Judah's response is? Oh, it's not my fault. I didn't know you were my daughter-in-law. I just thought you were a prostitute. This is his defense. Right out of the book of Genesis. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Now, some of you know the character Rahab, right? We got another woman. Listen, they're only calling the women. This is a whole thing about dads. This is all father, 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 father. But they're calling these people out. So this is important. Who's Rahab? Some of you know the story of Rahab. The Israelites are going to go into the promised land, right? They're going to step into the promised land. They see the land, and they see Jericho is the first city. I've been there before. When you cross over, that's the first city you see. They see Jericho. All right, we're going to take Jericho. So they send some spies to Jericho to find out what things are like in Jericho. And, and this prostitute Rahab takes these spies in, protects them. She has heard the stories of this amazing God out there, this amazing God who has all power and authority. And she's like, man, that's the real God. The gods we serve are not real. And so she talks to the spies and says, listen, I'll protect you. I'll get you out. But when you come, take this city over because I know you will because your God is powerful. Will you save me? Will you rescue my life? And they say, yes, we will. Amazing woman of faith. Rahab is in Hebrews 11, the, the chapter of all these amazing faith people, right? Rahab, this amazing woman. You want to be like Rahab. You know who Rahab was? A Canaanite prostitute. Canaanite. This were the people that were supposed to get kicked out of the land, right? Get out of here. We don't want you in the line. And yet here she is in the line of Jesus, a Canaanite prostitute. We don't stick around, oh, you want to be like Aunt Rahab? No, you, you probably don't in a lot of ways. Not a good idea, but there she is. 
in the story of Jesus. We go on, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. Boom, there we go. That's the one we were waiting for, right? King David, man after God's own heart, slaying Goliath, writing the book of Psalms, all these Psalms, you know, just amazing stories. This amazing, amazing man. Like we say, I want to be like David. Do you? Which David do you want to be like? Like, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I want the, the vengeful David, the one who was off killing people just because they said something bad about him. How about the David who's sitting up in his throne, we all know, sees a woman out there and says, bring that lady in. Oh, but she's married. No worries. Bring her in. Sleeps with her and then has her husband killed to try and cover it up. That one. That David? Is that who you want to be like? All over the story. Over and over. I could, I'm not just cherry picking the, just the bad ones. There's a lot in here. I go to Solomon, the next son, right? Wisest man in the world. Wisest man. Has 700 wives, ends up worshiping all these other idols. Gets totally lost in idolatry. The son of Solomon is who? Rehoboam. Rehoboam has given a unified kingdom. And in a matter of days, because he's so selfish and stupid, the, the kingdom is split into two completely. Like, it's just crazy. We've got King Manasseh in here. What did he do? Read about it. He sacrificed his own son to an idol. This is the kind of junk that we have. On and on and on. I could read the stories of who these people are. It's crazy. It's disgusting. Some of these are weird stories. Some of these are flat out wrong. It's absolutely messy, though. Absolutely messy. And this is what I love about Scripture. Scripture doesn't gloss over the facts. It doesn't gloss over the hard stuff. It's all here. Everything's here for us to read, all right? Why is this here, though? Because if you were to open your Bibles, there's this genealogy of Jesus, and then right after it starts the story telling about Jesus coming into the world. And uh, there's a lot of reasons why this is here, specifically in the book of Matthew, but I think there's a very, very clear reason why this is here for us. And I believe it's the word that every single one of us need to hear this morning. It's the truth that needs to confront the lie that we deal with. And it's our big so what this morning. Every week I have a big so what. I say, so what? What's the point of this thing? If you forget everything else I say this morning, here's the one thing I want you to take away. It's this. Jesus came for the messy. Jesus came. Jesus came for the messy. That's why he came. We have this lie that floats in our minds that I'm too messy. I'm too, God can't be with me. He doesn't want to be with me. You don't think he understands that you're a train wreck? He gets it. His whole family was a train wreck. Like, look at them all. Like, we all have, like, crazy uncle. They're way beyond crazy uncle here. Okay, this is stuff we wouldn't even think about. This is his family. He's saying, listen, and, and he's calling them out. He's not hiding them. Like, listen, they're called out Rahab. There's no reason why she needed to be in here. There's no reason why Tamar needed to be in here except to expose how screwed up they are. And here's the good news of the gospel. The truth is that scripture isn't here to tell us, oh, here's a list of good moral people. Try to be like those people. You know what the point of scripture is? To reveal that we are all broken and desperately in need of a savior. That's what the gospel shares. We all need it. It doesn't matter. I don't care if you walked in this door for the very first time and you're questioning things of faith or if you've been serving Jesus for 50 years. Apart from Christ, we have no hope. We are broken. And it's the most freeing place to be when we recognize that we can't 
fix our way out of this thing. We desperately need a savior. And that's where the gospel comes in because it is the hope, it is the life, it is the good news of what Jesus will bring to you. That's what the gospel brings. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, I came not for all the cleaned up people, I came to seek and save the lost. The people who don't know what they're doing, the people caught in the stupid stuff, those are the people I came for. Jesus said this, but it isn't, it isn't the healthy people that need a doctor. Healthy people don't need a doctor. It's the sick people. That's why I came for the sick. And this is what Jesus said. He read this. He's standing before a congregation like this. And Jesus opens the scrolls up to Isaiah. And he reads this. About himself, he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, of which we are the poorest. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus came for the messy. It reminds me of a story. Uh, this happened to me. This was, my son is 11 right now. He was, this was 11 years ago because he was maybe two or three months at the time, Levi. And uh, I was a new dad at the time. When you're a new dad, you're, just, you're still figuring stuff out, right? I don't really know what I'm doing completely. And mom leaves, you know, so I'm like solo dad in it here for a little while. And I'm like, I uh, hope things go okay, right? And so uh, I'm playing with my son, and I'm a good dad. I'm doing this kind of thing. And all of a sudden, you know what I'm saying? Mm, okay, it's that time, all right? So I'm smelling a little two in the diaper, right? Number two in the diaper. And so, I'm, so I, take, I take the boy back to the bedroom, and we've got the, the little stand here, and we've got the little thing with the pad, whatever. I set him down, all right, all right. I got this thing figured out at that time because I had a few months to figure this out. And so I, I slip the diaper. You know, you slip the diaper under the diaper, you know, clean diaper under the dirty diaper, right? So I slip that thing under there, and I open up, and it's like, whew, oh, yep, there it is. <laughs> there we are, okay? And so, so if you've, you've learned this before, you use the one-hand clutch grip, you know, so I clutch grip the ankles, kind of rip it open, you know, and I pull the thing down. New dad problem though, okay? So I slip out the diaper here. I'm pulling out. I'm doing some business over here. So I pull the diaper out over here. There's all two right here still. And so I'm trying to get wiped. While I'm trying to get a wipe to start the process, all of a sudden I start hearing this. Mm, mm. And I come over onto this side and realize one is now hitting my son in the face. <laughs> See, I'm a new dad. There's, there's things you're supposed to do. And I didn't know you got to cover the thing. And so, so I got... So now I got two here, I got one all here, and one's on my arm now because it's hitting my arm, and it's on the wall, and it's just like, and I don't know what to do, and I'm like, ah, you know, ah, and ordinarily I would say, Amber, and she's not home, and I don't know what to do, and so I, uh, it was one of those pads that had the little cover over it, so, so I just peeled the cover up all over him, you know, just gonna and I just kind of took the whole thing to the bathroom. And here's a picture of him. I took a picture after this. Here he is, just cute, cute as a button. There he is, you know. He looks so sweet. He's like, what are you doing to me, Father, right? You can't see. This is all wet right here. You can see it's all a disaster. It's disgusting, whatever. But I'm standing there looking at my son, and he's adorable and whatever, but he's a disaster. And I'm, you know what I didn't do in that moment? I didn't say, you're too messy. I didn't say, figure it out. Like when you can get yourself figured out, when you can get your stuff together, then I'll come take care of you again. Why? Because I'm a good dad. And I love my son. 
And I know his infinite value, his infinite worth. I would give my life for my son. To this day, I would still give my life for my son. And here's the truth some of you have been running from, the lie you've been biting on that says, man, my dad isn't like that. My dad would say, man, figure it out, son. Get your stuff together. If that's what your dad is like, I'm sorry, but that's not what your heavenly father is like. That's not what your heavenly father is like. Your heavenly father isn't the one that stands at a distance. Your heavenly father is the one that's willing to get messy. In fact, that's what the cross represents. It's a God who would take nails in his hands, would come to a world as a baby. Why? Because he knew you're a mess. He knows your brokenness. He knows your need. That's why he came. His love for you is infinite. And he will meet you. I want to talk to some of you as, who are followers of Christ. Because here's the problem. As followers of Christ, we can put a good show on. We can show up to church and we can wear our mask and we can be all clean. But we know there's parts of our lives that we're hiding. We're hiding it from one another. We're hiding it also from God. We try to ignore that. We try to say those things. We say, I'm too messy there. Listen, God desires to meet you there. He wants to meet you there. Those things that, that you're trying to keep from him, he already knows. Why are you hiding? Like Adam, where are you, Adam? He didn't ask that question because he didn't know where Adam was. He asked that question because he wanted Adam to come out. Get out of the hiding. And God wants that for so many of us. We've got junk in our lives that we are keeping in the back room. And you know what it's doing? It's getting toxic in your life. It's growing mold. Things in the dark get worse. They don't get better. And some of you are walking around with garbage in your life. There is sin. There is addiction. Some of you are struggling with alcohol, with drugs. Some of you are struggling with pornography. Some of you are struggling with other issues, sin issues in your life. Some of you are struggling with relationships that are dying right now. They're literally dying and you're not willing to do anything about it because you're trying to put a good face on. Your marriages are at the end and you desperately need help. But you're too ashamed to do anything about it. Jesus came for the messy. You don't have to hide it anymore, okay? Some of you are in the midst of some messy stuff and it's not of your doing at all. You didn't do anything to cause it. Listen, God knows. He'll meet you there too. He cares for you deeply. He loves you intimately. But I want to talk to those who wouldn't say you're a follower of Christ yet. Maybe you walked in the door this morning and you're just kind of thinking about faith, you're wrestling faith. Maybe you're online this morning. You're just not sure if you're ready to go there or not. I just want to say this to you. Jesus came for the messy. That's why he came, to save those who need saving. So don't ever let yourself say, you, you may have a bunch of junk going on in your life. Okay, don't ever let that be an excuse to say, well, I can't come to God because of that. You might not be ready to turn your life over to him this morning, but hear this, that should never be the reason you stay away from God. He came for that very reason, because he loves you deeply, all right? But I wanna finish the story for you just real quickly with my son, Levi. Because what did I do? I saw my son, he was a disaster, and I cleaned him up. I didn't leave him there. I didn't just pick him up in his mess and coddle him in his mess and say, oh, it's okay, son. The mess is okay. It's fine. We'll, we'll just, the smell, it's a different kind of smell. This is nice. 
you know, this is good. We like this. It's okay. I'll learn to like this. I didn't do that to my son. You know what I did? Because I'm a good father. I cleaned him up. There's some stuff that had to change. We had to get some poop out of his life. And here's what I need to say to some of us. Your heavenly father will do the same thing to you. And if you don't, he's not your heavenly father. There is something that has to be done. If you come to God, it absolutely requires that some stuff's going to change in your life. Like coming to Christ is not like, we don't get to say, oh, I love him as my savior without him being our Lord. He must be Lord as well. And that's going to require some cleaning. That's going to require surrendering some things. Saying, God, I, I surrender. I repent. You know what repentance is? It's turning away from stuff and turning toward God. Saying, God, I'm going to need to repent of some junk I've allowed in my life. It's necessary. But that's the good thing. Listen, your heavenly father doesn't want that in your life. Not because it's sucking the joy out of your life. Because it's killing you. It's killing you. And his desire, because he is a good father, is to set you free. That's his desire for you. All right? And so I want to pray. Actually, I want to give a challenge. Because I, we say, oh, well, what are we going to do with this thing? Uh, we always say, hey, I want to I teach you something. But if we don't do anything, this is pointless. We just sat around and listened to me talk for a half hour. You could do something far better with your life than that. And so here's the challenge for everyone in the room is this, is invite Jesus in. And I, and I say this because it takes a step. If you've been intentionally keeping him out, you're going to have to take the step to invite him in. And so to those of you who are are uh, followers of Christ, uh, my challenge to you is that corner, that room that you have kept away from him. That thing you've been hiding, maybe you've been hiding it from your spouse, you've been hiding it from your family, you've been hiding it from your friends, you've been hiding it uh, from the church at large. We need to get to a place to say, God, I'm going to start by inviting you into this circumstance. And I'm going to let you guide me. Because as you invite God into that struggling marriage, you know what you might realize in time? Okay, God, the obedient thing is I'm gonna go need to get some counseling here for this marriage. That may be what obedience looks like. You invite God into some of your personal struggles, you're gonna have to say, okay, maybe I need some help here. Maybe I need another person that I can pray with and speak to about this. But as you begin to invite him in, he's gonna give you the, the wisdom that you need for your life. And some of you have not done that. And this morning, you know what it is. You know that thing you're hiding. You know that thing that triggers. And I've been praying that the Holy Spirit would bring that to light for you. You know what that is. If you don't, you need to pray and say, God, have I been withholding anything? And in that moment, you invite him and you say, God, I invite you into this portion of my life. That's what it means to make him Lord. But for those of you who are here just seeking faith, maybe you're, you're exploring faith. You don't even know where you're at here this morning. I've got good news for you. The good news is that Jesus came for the messy. But now it's on you. Gifts have to be received. And as I said, receiving Jesus, the gift of Jesus, when he, he came, he didn't just come as a baby, he came and he died on a cross to pay the penalty for our mess, to pay the penalty for our sin and our brokenness. And he rose again to overcome the power of sin and death. And when we place our hope and trust in him, we put our faith in him. He gives us what we could never earn for ourselves. He gives us right standing before God. He gives us relationship with the Father. He makes us brand new creations. But that gift must be received. And we don't just receive him as our Savior saying, yeah, Jesus, take my sin. That's it. We say, Jesus, you're my Savior and you're my Lord. 
Lord says, Jesus, take my sin and take all of me. I lay myself down before you. I surrender to you and I make you my king and my leader. And I say this very clearly here this morning because it's possible that you've been attending here for the last few weeks. You've been attending for the last several months, maybe online, and you've never had your day of salvation moment. You've never had the moment where you said, now is the day. December 20th, 2020, it could be the day for you to say, I am surrendering my life to Christ today. I'm turning the chapter and we are never going back. This could be that day for you. And I wanna give you an opportunity that this could be the day of salvation. And so I'm gonna pray here in a moment and I'm gonna invite you to respond. And I believe that this is gonna be powerful. For some of you online, same thing. You are in a moment where this could be your day. And I believe and I'm praying that God would receive some of you for the very first time as his children. Would you pray with me across the room? Father, I thank you so much that you came for the messy. You came for the messy because we are them and we desperately need you, God. Father, we admit our brokenness. We admit our failure. We admit that we desperately need a savior. And God, I pray for those all across this room those who've been hiding, those who've been trying to keep uh, their mess away from you, God, I pray that this morning they would surrender that to you. They would invite you in to the mess. And God, that we would begin to see healing in this place, that we would begin to see restoration and redemption in this place for people who have never experienced it all because they're willing to invite you in to that area of their life. God, I pray that we would see that all across this room. With every head bow and every eye closed, and those with us online as well. If you are here this morning, I want to talk to you. You are ready to say today is the day. I've been coming. I've been doing the church thing, but I've never made that moment, drawn that line in the sand to say today is the day, God. I am all yours. I surrender to you. Today could be that day for you. And wherever you're at, online or in person, I'm going to ask you to do something merely as an act of faith, to step out in faith and say this, God, I am yours. I want you to just raise your hand across the room and online to say, God, I want to live for you. I want to surrender. Today is the day of salvation. I see that, yeah. Others, raise your hand across the room. Say, today is the day. Yes, yes, yeah. Anyone else? The Holy Spirit's churning in your heart right now. You feel it. You think it's just your, your heart going. The Holy Spirit may be wanting to speak to you right now. Is this that moment for you? Does God want you to respond? If that's you, raise your hand across the room. Thank you. Thank you. Would you pray with me across the room? If, this is, if you raise your hand, I invite you just to pray a prayer like this with me. Jesus, thank you for saving me. Thank you for giving your life for me. I admit that I'm a mess. And I need a savior. I admit that I'm a sinner and I need your salvation. And I thank you that you came to this earth for that very reason. And so Lord, I come to you right now and I, I lay my life down before you. I ask that you would forgive me of my sins, that you would wash me clean and give me a new life, Lord. And God, I, I believe in you. I believe you as not just my savior, but I believe in you as my Lord, as my king, as the leader of my life. And so I give everything to you, Jesus. I offer myself to you, Jesus. Would you help me to live for you, Jesus? To live as a child of God, not live like everybody else does, but to live a life surrendered to you, Jesus. 
And God, may I receive your love. May I sense your love. May I recognize your unconditional love like never before. I thank you for that, Jesus. God, I pray a blessing over every person who made a decision here this morning. I thank you for that. There is a party going on in heaven right now because today was a day of salvation. And we rejoice with heaven. We thank you for that, God. God, I pray your strength over this body. God, I pray your life over this body. God, I pray that there would be a new vigor in our hearts for you, that we don't have to hide anymore, but we can walk in the confidence that you are our God, that you care for us, and just like a good father, you will clean us up too. You will turn us into what you desire us to be. Pray that in the name of Jesus. Everybody said amen, amen, amen. Would you stand with me across the room?